Open your copy of God's Word to Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. The fourth commandment, as we continue this series, says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. To the Lord, your God, on it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that send them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. There was um, a preacher in Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin. I was proud of him. Uh, seeing constant conflict in his church over the soccer league. Soccer is a big thing up there. Uh, they had, um, I think, 200 teams, thousands of people playing soccer every weekend. So the preacher uh, wrote the sports league a letter, and he actually got 50 other churches to sign it. And says, my congregation is constantly having a conflict about whether to play soccer or go to church. Can, can we pull off something that worked for both of us? The soccer league respectfully answered uh, the Milwaukee preacher and said, I'm sorry, with 200 teams? I mean, they're just not enough hours in the day on Saturday and Sunday to schedule that many competitions. So Sabbath-sensitive scheduling is just not possible. We're sorry. Now, you have that same conflict, and I do too. What do you do when you know you want to be in God's house, but something you've signed up for, like soccer, then says your game is at what time is it? 10.16 on Sunday morning. How do you deal with that? Or it's not soccer. It's football. Or it's baseball. Or it's piano recital. Or it's a college orientation. Or it's your first class uh, in college. Or it's something else. I mean, just one thing after another seems to conflict. Well, the way we've answered that question over the years is one of three ways. And I want us to think about it this morning. We either answer that question by avoiding the Sabbath and say, well, I don't need to worry about the Sabbath command. Just avoid it. Second way is we say, no, I've done a little bit of research, and I don't think the Sabbath command applies anymore. So we abrogate the commandment. Of the ten, that one doesn't apply. Or the third way is to accept the command. You take one of those three. All of us do. We're either avoiding it, abrogating it, or accepting it. And whichever one of those choices we make, then we try to live with the consequences and rationale, our reasons. Let's look at each of those this morning in an attempt to get to the place of seeing, just as we've sung, this is a day of love for God and God for us and with His people. It is a significant day set aside. How do we respond to it? First of all, the avoidance response. We choose to avoid um, clearly, most people take this choice. Popular survey says this is the number one answer. Why? Because only 20% of your neighbors, 20% of Anderson, only 20% goes to church on Sunday. So the popular answer is to avoid church altogether. 80% of the residents around us are not here or in any other church this morning. So that's the number one answer. Let's just avoid the church scene altogether. Along with that, let's avoid 
the Sabbath day. It's easy to avoid. Well, it doesn't change God's will, though. If God's will is for the Sabbath, Sabbath, and you haven't changed it, you're still accountable for it. Avoiding it really doesn't help, and it's not God's will for us to avoid. Look at 2 Timothy 2, 15 and 16. Here's what God wants us to do. 2 Timothy 2, 15 and 16, whether it's the fourth commandment or any commandment for that matter, this is God's guidance. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15 says, Do your best, so your best and my best might be a little different, but you do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Working in what? Rightly handling the word of truth. The Bible. But avoid irreverent babble. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. God's plan for your life, my life, is not for us to avoid His commands. He said, I want you in the Bible. And I want you to be a worker that's not ashamed. So pick a commandment like the fourth commandment. And when you get it, you do your research. You be a good worker in the Bible, because if you don't choose to be a worker in the Bible, what does the Bible really say, and what does it really mean for me to live it in such a way that I'm approved to God? If you don't do that, what do you end up doing? You end up babbling about why you don't do it. You either choose the Bible or you choose Babel. And he says the Babel is irreverent. It's not respectful of the God who's given you in air and infallible truth. Take the Bible that God's given you and do the work. Be a good worker. So instead of avoiding God's commands, God wants us to get into them and to find out how they apply. I don't know about you. I was raised with this philosophy, what you don't know won't hurt you. That's crazy. There's so many things. If you don't know, it will hurt you. We found that out through COVID, right? So what you don't know could hurt you, even in COVID pandemic. What you don't know about the speed limit or the law enforcement or whatever can hurt you. What you don't know about diseases can hurt you. God says, I want you to be a good worker. Don't avoid what you don't know. Get into the Bible. Be a worker who's not ashamed to say, I studied the issue and here's my conclusions. So the whole avoidance thing, I think, needs to go away. We need to be more respectful of God, His Word, than that. We need to get into His truth, study it, and seek to apply it. So let's move on from the avoiding argument to abrogating. There's a lot of godly people who say we can abrogate the Sabbath command. Uh, and they do so for three reasons. They say we can abrogate it because uh, certain commands have ceased. We're not under law, we're under grace. They can abrogate it because they say it's ceremonial. And ceremonial laws have, are, are over. So let's look at that command. Because there's godly people. I've had godly professors who come to the fourth command and say we can just accept the fact, agree on the fact that the Sabbath command is no longer in force. How are they teaching that? Let's look at the whole under law, not, uh, excuse me, not under law, but under grace argument. Look at Romans chapter 6 and uh, 
Not long ago, I preached through the book of Romans and dealt with this at some length, so I'm not going to go back through it now. But here's one of the places Paul addresses this whole subject. Uh, we're under grace. And as a result, what does that do with our relationship of law? Look at Romans 6, uh, verse 1 and 2. He's got, Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You know, now we're under grace. Let's just talk about grace. And his answer is, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You, you don't say you're under grace so that you can go out and sin. He, said, he repeats himself again down verse um, 15. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? That's what people say. We're, we're not under law anymore. We're under grace. So, okay. I hear the argument, but does that mean you can sin? And the answer should be, absolutely not. By no means. What is sin? I'm not going to take the time to go over all this again. You can look it up. 1 John 3, 4. Sin is, what's the answer? Lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. That's what 1 John 3, 4 says. So, how can you be under grace and still Sin, you can't throw out the law. Sin is lawlessness. Paul says, by no means can you throw out the law. Just because you're now under grace. Because by throwing out the law, you sin. And grace doesn't encourage sin. Never has, never will. Absolutely not. Look in Romans 7. When he starts talking about the law specifically, look at verse 12. It says, so, Romans 7, verse 12, So the law is holy. The commandment is holy. It's righteous and good. There's no question what he thinks about the law. Does he think you could throw it out? No, it's holy. It's, it's holy. It's righteous. It's good. Um, verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual. Another great ingredient. Verse 16, Now if we do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. He doesn't throw out the law. We're no longer under the curse of the law. But we do use the law, the spiritual, holy law, to guide us in our sanctification, to give us love language for our Heavenly Father. The law is good for us. It sets us apart as those who have a standard an absolute standard for holiness and righteousness. We don't earn salvation through the law. We're under, we're under a curse. We come out from under that curse by grace. But the law is still a tool for our righteousness and sanctification and our love for God. So by no means can you just throw out the law and say it doesn't apply. When the scripture that talks about law and grace... Make it very clear, you can't, you can't go that way. The law is holy, it's good, it's spiritual, and we still use it. So, the commandments do not cease. They are still ours before us. Well, yeah, but there's certain Old Testament commands that were ceremonial. That's the second aspect of this. So, is it ceremonial, and if it's ceremonial, do the ceremonies cease? Yes, ceremonies cease. When Christ died on the cross for us, 
all of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, ceremonial sacrifices that said we were sinners in need of cleansing, Christ's once and for all sacrifice on the cross put those to bed. We don't need any more ceremony to lead us to Christ. We just need to come to Christ. And Christ's work on the cross ceremonial cleans, ceremonially cleanses us from all our sin, washes away our sin, makes us whiter than snow. Christ's sacrifice is once and for all. That does away what was pointing to it. The ceremonies, yes. But is the Sabbath command a ceremony? That's the question. People want to say, well, the Sabbath was just pointing us to, to Christ because Christ is our Sabbath. Christ is our rest. In Christ we rest. So if it was pointing, all the commands were pointing us to Christ, then those that were doing so point us or, or, or cease along with Christ showing up. That's not what the scripture says. Christ is our ultimate Sabbath, yes. But I want to give you five reasons why it's not ceremonial. The Sabbath command is not ceremonial. Number one, I shared last week, that the Sabbath command begins on the seventh day of creation. This is an old commandment. The Sabbath command did not begin with the Ten Commandments. That's why the Ten Commandments, when you get to the Ten Commandments, about a thousand years after the Sabbath started, the Sabbath started with creation, with Adam and Eve. They kept the Sabbath day. Then it moves on to Noah's family. And there was a flood. They kept the Sabbath day. And then we pick up Abraham and all of his children. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They keep the Sabbath day. They move into Egypt. And they're in Egypt for 400 years. Seeking to keep the Sabbath day. But then afflicted with slavery for 400 years. When they get out of Egypt. Exodus 16. It is specifically told them. I'm going to give you manna from heaven six days, and you get enough on the sixth day for the seventh day because you keep the Sabbath day. This is something they already did. This was not a ceremony. The Sabbath command predates all ceremonies. They weren't given any ceremonies in Exodus 16 yet. They don't get the ceremonies till after they're starting to build the tabernacle and have the priests and start the ceremonies. After the Ten Commandments. The fourth commandment was not a ceremony. They're specifically told. In the fourth commandment, we're told, what do we do? What's the first word? Remember. Remember the first thousand years of history. That we keep the Sabbath command. Remember that. That's what we do. It's not a ceremony. This is an ordinance with creation. This is what we do through creation. We stop one day in seven and we stop to remember and celebrate God and His redemption and His creation. So Sabbath is a creation ordinance, not a ceremony. Number two, Sabbath was expressly taught, already given you that, Exodus 16. Expressly taught prior to the giving of the Ten Commandments. So when you get to the Ten, it's the only commandment. It says, you know, remember, you've already, you know, basically, you've already been doing this. Remember this. This command, this command stays with us. Third, Sabbath was a distinguishing mark of, the, generate, uh, of uh, the creation, Genesis pattern. Life was broken down in creation into seven periods of time. And one period of those seven periods was the day of rest. And that's gone on since 
creation. Um, it was never a sign of our cleansing, of our, some ceremony of cleansing. It was a Genesis pattern. Uh, violation, uh, Dale mentioned this a little bit in his prayer, that uh, violation of the fourth commandment in the Old Testament when the church was a national church was um, a capital offense. And some people, we, we've got records in the Bible of a few people who were stoned to death for breaking the Sabbath command. You remember the guy who was picking up sticks on the Sabbath day and they took him out and stoned him. You never, ever, ever stone someone for breaking a ceremonial law. Ceremonial laws were never capital offenses. Never. We don't have any record of that. The only commands that were capital offenses were moral laws. The Sabbath commands a moral law, as are the other nine. It's not ceremonial. And it's demonstrated by the fact that God uh, executed uh, those who broke it in the Old Testament days. And then the fifth reason, the Ten Commandments are treated as a moral unit when they come into the New Testament. I've already given you a whole sermon on that, how Jeremiah 31 is dealing with the whole package, Ten Commandments, moving into the New Testament. You also have it in a strong way in Ephesians 6 and also in 1 Timothy 1. So we see all ten commands, not just nine of them, coming into the New Testament. Uh, it's not optional. It's moral, these Ten Commandments. So many people might tell you, well, I've done my research, and I think it's a ceremonial command, and I just think we can do away with it. I'm here to encourage you, no, let's don't go that route of abrogating God's command. There's nothing in the Bible that would lead us that way. My pastoral advice is love God and keep His commandments. Well, let's figure out how to do it. And let's do it in a right way, not in a legalistic way, in a way that does bring us the measure of grace that God gives us. But he doesn't abrogate his commands in the process. So the third option for us is to accept the fourth commandment, just as we accept the other nine commandments. Let's accept it as a moral requirement, and let's move forward. Why should we accept it? I want to give you five reasons. By the way, some people have already started asking me, as I was thinking about these five reasons twice here now, you know, it's just a typical, what is, what is this, this one, typical David Roundtree 15-point message kind of thing? Uh, next week, I'm going to shorten it, okay? I'm gonna, next week, I'm going to give you seven reasons why we keep the Sabbath on Sunday, all right? Question that always comes up, well, where did it change? How did it change? What's the rationale for that? But five arguments this morning for accepting it. Five arguments for accepting the Sabbath um, look again at Genesis 2. The rationale um, is decisive. Look at Genesis 2, 2 and 3. This is where we first pick up the Sabbath day. I'll start at verse 1. Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. He gives us the rationale. Why is the seventh day different? First six days, he's working, 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 working. And it's literally amazing 
what God pulled off in six days, right? God created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them in six days. That's just mind-blowing. Unbelievable what God had done. And it's like, man, God, if we were around, you're on a roll. And then he stops. As soon as man's created, Adam and Eve, on the sixth day, and they're just blown away, really. God puts man and Eve, uh, Adam and Eve, into this creation. And says, behold what I've done. And it's like, whoa. Their first day. I mean, it, it, it makes me imagine the glories of entering into heaven. And my first day there, God says, behold. It's like, I told you, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, hadn't even entered into the heart of man what I've done for you. And you're just, whew, unbelievable. That's where Adam and Eve were on the, their first day of existence. And then God stops, like, really? We're stopping? Yep, done. And it says there in that passage twice, he rested. He rested. He says, he said, I'm setting aside this day because this is the day I rest from all of this that I've done. Now, if you've read Isaiah 40, you know God never grows weary. He's never weak. He doesn't have to rest. He doesn't need rest. He didn't rest because he needed to. He rested because he wanted to. What I have just created, God says, is worth a moment of rest. Let's rest from it. And let's celebrate it. Let's see the glory in it and of it and the one who's created. The rationale is decisive. This work of creating heaven and earth and sea and everything that's in it is worth time to stop, rest, reflect. And be restored in the ability and power and glory of one who can do all these things. And that's why God gives it. He says, I want you to, to stop. I rest. I want you to rest. Quit your creative work. You're going to be like me. You're made in my image and you're going to be very creative and do many things but I want you to stop and reflect. I want you to stop and rest. I want you to stop and evaluate because it's glorious what you can do, what I have done and what you'll do in me. Second reason, the remembrance is demanded. Not only should we, it makes great sense, but he demands it back in the fourth commandment with the word remember. Exodus 28, remember the Sabbath. The word Sabbath means rest. Remember doesn't mean seven. It means rest. Remember the rest I did on the seventh day. Remember how I set that apart and I made it good and holy and right to stop and to reflect and rest. Remember that. I'm demanding that you have 
time for it. There's a sense in which if we don't do the fourth command, we don't need to do the first three. Because we don't have time for it. The first command to worship only God, when are you going to do that? Well, I'll get around to it. No, you, no, no, you won't. I won't either. I need a day for that. I need time for that. Or to um, not have idols, to really focus on the one true God, to speak well of Him and for Him, to Him. The first three commands require the fourth, that we need this time, and God demands. I want you to take the time to remember. Third reason, the ruler of the Sabbath command. Look at Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verse 27 and 28. Who's the ruler? You know the answer, but let's look at it here. Mark 2, verse 27. This is Jesus speaking. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, the Son of Man, which is Christ, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Pharisees were questioning Jesus. Why is he letting his disciples eat on this Sabbath day? Well, it's a work of necessity. We do that. But Jesus says, listen, you got the this, this Sabbath command messed up. And Jesus doesn't go to fixing their Sabbath perception just so he could abrogate it. That wouldn't make sense. I'm not going to fix it for you for this time so you could throw it out because I'm fixing to kill it. No. He says, I want you to know I'm in charge. The Sabbath day is my day. And so from then, especially if you get to the book of Revelation, it's specifically called the Lord's Day. I'm in charge. This is my day. And I want you to keep it. I'm the ruler of this day. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He's not trying to kill it. He's organizing and structuring it so that we get it. And we get, as you see there in Mark 2, we get it as a gift, as a benefit. The Sabbath was made from the beginning for rest. I want to rest my creation. It's a gift. I want, just as I stopped and rested and reflected, I want my people to stop and rest and reflect, and I want them to get the gift of my love, my grace, that's for them. Christ is the ruler, and he continues with the Sabbath. So that's, that's my day, that's, that's my jam, that's what I do. I do Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Fourth reason, the reality is demonstrated in Matthew 24, you know this great um, last days passage. And you can take it to the end of the world or you can take it to Acts, excuse me, uh, 70 AD, which is what I do. But let's, let's look there. Matthew 20. Um, and, and see this command. Excuse me. Uh, Matthew 24. And he's talking about this great persecution that's going to come on the church. And he tells them when this, the abomination of desolations in, in Matthew 24, when it comes on to the church, so whenever, whether you take the abomination of desolations to be the Roman armies surrounding uh, Jerusalem in 70 AD and destroying it, desolating Jerusalem, whether you take it then or if you take it to the end of time, you certainly extend the Sabbath much further. But notice verse 20. He says, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on Sabbath. 
Why would he say that if the Sabbath wasn't still around? In 70 A.D., so let's say Christ died about 30 A.D., and 70 A.D. is the abomination of desolation, so we've got another 40 years, one generation. He said it's going to happen in a generation. we got 40 years of Sabbath-keeping, clearly from this passage, after Christ died. And he says, pray that when the desolation occurs, it doesn't occur on your Sabbath. Why? If you're not keeping it. Well, see, they were keeping it. It wasn't abrogated. They were keeping it. And the Sabbath day, militarily speaking, every army that's ever attacked Christians knows the, the best time to attack Christians on their Sabbath. That's when they're weakest. That's when their guard's down. That's when they lay down their weapons to worship. Pray that it doesn't happen then because you're going to be absorbed in worship. And you need to be ready to leave town. The Sabbath day continues. He demonstrates the Sabbath day continues for years after uh, Christ's death and burial. Um, then I want you to see just the regularity of the Sabbath being described in Isaiah. Uh, I'm teaching through Isaiah right now in discipleship class. And uh, I'll just give a plug for it. By the way, the other discipleship classes, they're good. They're not nearly as good as mine, but they're good. You know, I've said that. Um, I will promote them if you leaders would just tell me what you're doing. I'll promote you too, okay? Maybe I'll try to promote them all this morning. But I'm going to be teaching on Isaiah 53 this morning. Next week I'm going to teach all the way through the book of Isaiah on the phrase new heaven and new earth. And a lot of people when they get to the book of Revelation, they don't have a clue what new heaven and new earth is because they didn't read it first in Isaiah. And Isaiah speaks a lot about it. But look at Isaiah chapter 56. Isaiah 56. And let me just read a little bit of this for you. Isaiah 56. Thus says the Lord, keep justice, do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come. Isaiah is talking about gospel kingdom, saying soon basically Jesus is going to come. This gospel time. And righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, for the Son of Man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing eating the evil. So in the gospel kingdom, when Christ shows up, when the Son of Man who is Christ shows up, he's a Sabbath keeper. And he doesn't profane it. It's interesting that being mentioned. Also interesting, verse 4, thus says the Lord, to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath. The eunuchs, if you remember in the Old Testament, they're ceremonially unclean. They weren't even welcome to the tabernacle on the Sabbath day. But in the gospel times, the eunuch who wants in can get in. And he's mentioned as, he was, he was a Sabbath keeper. He was mine. A distinguishing characteristic of those who are in the gospel kingdom. Uh, look down at verse 6. And the foreigners also, unclean, but come in, who joined them. So here's the Gentiles joining the Jew to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord and to his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and hold fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and I will make them joyful in the house of prayer. How many need a little joy in the house of prayer? The way God describes his church, his buildings, his people. And he says, I want to make them joyful and I can't wait to get take you back into Isaiah 58 where the Sabbath is called a delight. 
We get Sabbath right. It's, it's a delight. But here the Sabbath keepers in the gospel kingdom are the ones who are pointed out as the significant ones. They're the ones who have been loving me, God says, all of this time. And, and we've had time together through the Sabbath. Now I'll jump you ahead a little bit. Uh, chapter, um, say, Isaiah uh, 66 um, Verse 1, thus says the Lord, heaven's my throne, earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? How is that going to happen? What's that going to look like in New Testament times? Well, it's interesting, and I'll just kind of give you a clue. The end of the book, Isaiah 66, verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I will make shall remain, So he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and they will remain, catch this, before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath. So if you believe the new heaven and new earth remain, the Sabbath, he says, remains too. And it remains as long as the moon remains. The Sabbath is not done away. It's a very significant part of this era, this time, the gospel kingdom. So we shouldn't abrogate it. We shouldn't avoid it. It's part of Messiah times. Now, finish up with two more points real quick. Two primary reasons for keeping the Sabbath command. There's just no good reason to question it. Shouldn't avoid it. Shouldn't abrogate it. So why? Why keep it then? Two reasons I want to leave you with. Redemption, remembrance, number one. Look at Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. Deuteronomy 5, verse 15 says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So there you have a mighty remembrance. He says, I want you to remember the Sabbath day. I gave you the Sabbath day as a day to remember. And he says, one of the things specifically I want you to remember is that you were a slave, analogous to us being a sinner. Remember redemption. Remember when you were in bondage. Remember when you were a slave. Remember when you were a sinner. I want you to have a day for that. A day where you just stop and remember. Uh, When Claren and Emmeline gave their membership vows, our first membership vow, all of you who are members, you've taken. The first membership vow is that you acknowledge, I was a sinner. Do you acknowledge I was a sinner? I was lost. I was without hope except for the mercy is found in Christ. If Christ does not save me, I'm still a sinner enslaved in sin and I'm lost and I deserve hell. Second membership vow is have you trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior? So now I've moved on from being the sinner to being a saint. That I've trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior and he's taken me into his family. Do you remember that exchange? Because as we grow in our membership, as we grow in our love for Christ, sometimes we forget where we came from, don't we? And we get proud of what we do, 
and our works, and sometimes we even impress our works and our lifestyle upon other people, and we forget that we were just as bad as they are, where we've come from, and that we didn't do anything to get us to where we are. We were redeemed out of sin, out of bondage, out of slavery. Someone else chose us. We were on a path headed to hell and deserving of hell until Christ drew us off that path and put us on another path until He reached down, chose us, and destined us for heaven and glory. And we need time to remember that. I am not a self-made man. I am not destined for holiness and glory because of what I've done. I'm not earning that through what I do. Remember, I was lost and deserving of hell. When we do that, we establish an identity that's ours in Christ. I am what I am by the grace of God. I am redeemed. I am saved. I am changed. I am a new creation. Old things passed away. New things have been established by grace. And it would do me a whole lot of good to stop on the first day of every week and remember who I am. We know our culture. There's an identity crisis. Most people do not know who they are. And it creates such anxiety and such depression because we think, I'm, I don't know who I am. I don't know where I'm going. I may be destined for hell. It's like, wait, stop. Remember. In Christ, all of that changes. You were anxiously going to hell. You are now gloriously going to heaven. You're a new being in Christ. And that changes everything. And it leads us to the house of God to worship. Because we take the first parts of the day to remember redemption story. Personal redemption story in each of us. God says that's, that's one of the primary reasons I, I give you the Sabbath. is because I want you to have this day to remember. Then the second reason that it gives us is what I call creation celebration. Back in Exodus 20, verse 11, he says, In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh Sabbath day and made it holy. Um, it, he says, I made everything in six days. Don't you think that deserves a little rest? And a little time to celebrate to reflect upon what I've done there. Um, uh, just a day to remember not only where he's brought us, but all he's done. I'm going to end with one more passage. Hebrews chapter 4. Let me plug the Hebrews class. Hebrews is a great class. Ryan Booth's teaching it. And the Hebrews class, you, you find so so much of the Old Testament mingled in and showing you this beautiful, new, and living way that's for us now in Christ. Let me read some of Hebrews 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest, we're talking about Sabbath rest, still stands, let us fear lest any of us should seem to have failed to reach it. Have you failed to reach Sabbath rest? 
Do you tremble that you might not be there yet? Verse 2, for good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they, they were not united by faith. The, the, the Old Testament church heard about this Sabbath rest, but they didn't mingle faith with it. They didn't trust it. They didn't believe it. They didn't keep it. With those who didn't listen, verse 3, for we who have believed entered that rest. As he said, I swore in my wrath they shall not enter. So they didn't. We get to. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day. We know where it is, right? He's spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. He says, they're not getting it. They're not trusting. He's trying to encourage us. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today saying, through David, so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his it brings back up. There's, there's a day to rest, just like God rested. God rested, we rest, and we stop from our works, we stop to celebrate. Just as God did things in six days, you did six days worth of something this week. Do you ever stop to celebrate? God, thank you for what you let me do. As I hear my own kids screaming, you know? Some of you... Uh, did the work of changing diapers this week. What a glorious work. You're helping out the next generation live and move. So from whether you, your work for the last six days was changing diapers to building a Tesla car, they're significant works. And do you stop to... Think about what God is enabling you to do and to celebrate. God, every good and perfect gift has come from you and you enable me to do this. You've gifted me for this work. And just as you did unbelievable work and rested, I rest. And I stop to enter into that rest, acknowledging it comes from you and you are my Redeemer. I so badly need rest. My elders know it's one of my number one prayer requests when they ask me, you know, what, David, what do you need? I say, I need rest. I need rest. I'm tired. My job description never gets smaller. There's just always so much to do. I'm not the only one. Some of you feel burdened and overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that's in front of you. Some of it you get to and some of it you never get to. And God looks down from heaven and he says, some people still do not believe I gave them a day to stop. And they don't enter in to this time of rest. They don't remember they were sinners. They don't glory 
in their salvation. They don't glory in, in the gifts I've given and the beauty I'm creating. They need a day to enter into rest. Now I ask that for you, that you would love God and keep His commands. For they're beautiful and they're beneficial for us as His people. Pray with me. Father, I bow down because I need rest. I visibly and physically need rest. I spiritually need rest. And I so desperately need to see I have a restful Savior who is Lord of my rest and cares about my rest and wants to give me rest. Father, forgive me for doing life my way and not seeing I already have very specific tracks to run on, guidelines, ten commandments you've given. Forgive me for creating my own tracks, avoiding and abrogating yours when yours are far better. Let us be those who benefit greatly from your commands, who are so in love with you that we want to have more of you, more time with you, more obedience to you, more change, being conformed to you. Father, strengthen us as your people. We're not here to play church. We're here to be yours, to live for you, to glorify and honor you. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we take the Lord's...